Hello, and welcome to Storytime for Grown-Ups. I'm Faith Moore, and this season we're reading Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Each episode, I'll read one chapter from the book, pausing from time to time to give brief explanations so it's easier to follow along. It's like an audiobook with built-in notes. So brew a pot of tea, find a cozy chair, and settle in. It's story time. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. This is the first ever episode of Storytime for Grownups, and I could not be more thrilled to be starting this journey with you. Let me tell you a little bit about what I hope this podcast will be. The goal of Storytime for Grownups is to help you learn to love classic literature, or to love it even more if it's already your thing. Whether we choose to admit it or not, many of us find the great books of the past inaccessible. The language is dense, the vocabulary is unfamiliar, and the characters seem old-fashioned. Too often these books are thrown aside as boring or too difficult, even if the plots intrigued us to begin with. But these books are classics for a reason. We just need a way in. My hope is that the more you listen, the easier the language will seem. For this first season, we're reading my favorite book of all time, Jane Eyre. Each episode, I'll read one chapter aloud. As I read, I'll stop to offer explanations for things that may not be clear to the modern reader. Word definitions, super quick scene summaries, things like that. I'll only stop when it seems necessary and I won't go on and on. You can listen like an audiobook or follow along in a copy of your own. If you'd like a summary of the chapter or a basic analysis, I've linked to the relevant Cliff's Notes pages in the show notes. But before we jump in, just a few housekeeping details. I'm Faith Moore. I'm a writer, editor, former teacher, and current stay-at-home mom. You can learn more about me on my website, faithkmore.com. And if you're a writer or hope to become one, you can also find information on my website about how to hire me to edit your writing. You can find me on Twitter, or X, or whatever it's called now, at faithkmore. Also, I hope you'll pick up a copy of my novel, Christmas Carol, on Amazon. At the end of the episode, there will be an opportunity to submit your questions or thoughts on the chapter we've just read. I'll feature one or two of your comments at the beginning of the next episode. You can get in touch via the contact page of my website. There's a link in the show notes. All right, let's get started. Join me for Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, Chapter 1. There was no possibility of taking a walk that day. We had been wandering, indeed, in the leafless shrubbery an hour in the morning. But since dinner, Mrs. Reed, when there was no company, dined early. The cold winter wind had brought with it clouds so somber and a rain so penetrating that further outdoor exercise was now out of the question. I was glad of it. I never liked long walks, especially on chilly afternoons. Dreadful to me was the coming home in the raw twilight, with nipped fingers and toes and a heart saddened by the chidings of Bessie, the nurse. Chidings are scoldings, and the nurse would have been like the nanny. And humbled by the consciousness of my physical inferiority to Eliza, John, and Georgiana Reed. The said Eliza, John, and Georgiana were now clustered around their mama in the drawing room. She lay reclined on a sofa by the fireside, and with her darlings about her, for the time neither quarreling nor crying, looked perfectly happy. 
Me, she had dispensed from joining the group, saying she regretted to be under the necessity of keeping me at a distance, but that until she heard from Bessie and could discover by her own observation that I was endeavoring in good earnest to acquire a more sociable and childlike disposition, a more attractive and sprightly manner, something lighter, franker, more natural, as it were, she really must exclude me from the privileges intended only for contented, happy little children. So the narrator, who is Jane, isn't allowed to be with Mrs. Reed and the other children because Mrs. Reed says that the nurse, Bessie, calls her sullen and isn't and says she isn't like other children. So she says she's not allowed to do the things that happy little children are allowed to do. So she's keeping her apart from the other children. What does Bessie say I have done? I asked. Jane, I don't like cavillers or questioners. Cavillers are people who nitpick. Besides, there is something truly forbidding in a child taking up her elders in that manner. So Mrs. Reed is saying Jane is talking out of turn. Be seated somewhere, and until you can speak pleasantly, remain silent. A breakfast room adjoined the drawing room. So the breakfast room was next to the drawing room. I slipped in there. It contained a bookcase. I soon possessed myself of a volume. So she took down a book. Taking care that it should be one stored with pictures. I mounted into the window seat. Gathering up my feet, I sat cross-legged like a Turk. And, having drawn the red marine curtain nearly close, I was shrined in double retirement. So she's gone into this breakfast room, and she's sitting cross-legged with a book on a window seat, and she's pulled the curtain, so now she's sitting between the window and the curtain, and she's hidden from the rest of the room. Folds of scarlet drapery shut in my view to the right hand. To the left were the clear panes of glass, protecting but not separating me from the drear November day. At intervals, while turning over the leaves of my book, I studied the aspect of that winter afternoon. Afar, it offered a pale blank of mist and cloud. Near, a scene of wet lawn and storm-beat shrub, with ceaseless rain sweeping away wildly before a long and lamentable blast. I returned to my book, Bewick's History of British Birds. The letterpress thereof I cared little for, generally speaking. And yet, there were certain introductory pages that, child as I was, I could not pass quite as a blank. So she's saying she was more interested in the pictures than in the words, but the book's introduction does grab her interest. They were those which treat of the haunts of seafowl, of the solitary rocks and promontories by them only inhabited, of the coast of Norway studded with isles from its southern extremity, the Lindeness, or Nays, to the North Cape, where the northern ocean in vast whirls boils round the naked melancholy isles of farthest Thule, and the Atlantic surge pours in among the stormy Hebrides. So that's what she's reading in the book. It says that these seabirds live in a desolate and solitary place, and this captivates Jane. Nor could I pass unnoticed the suggestion of the bleak shores of Lapland, Siberia, Spitsbergen, Nova Zembla, Iceland, Greenland, with the vast sweep of the Arctic zone and those forlorn regions of dreary space, that reservoir of frost and snow, where firm fields of ice, the accumulation of centuries of winters, glazed in alpine heights above heights, surround the pole, and concenter the multiplied rigors of extreme cold. Of these death-white realms I formed an idea of my own, shadowy, like all the half-comprehended notions that float dim through children's brains, but strangely impressive. 
The words in these introductory pages connected themselves with the succeeding vignettes and gave significance to the rock standing up alone in a sea of billow and spray, to the broken boat stranded on a desolate coast, to the cold and ghastly moon glancing through bars of cloud at a wreck just sinking. The words and the pictures allow Jane to form a sort of hazy impression of these far-off places. I cannot tell what sentiment haunted the quite solitary churchyard with its inscribed headstone, its gate, its two trees, its low horizon girdled by a broken wall, and its newly risen crescent attesting the hour of eventide. Two ships becalmed on a torpid sea, I believe to be marine phantoms. The fiend pinning down the thief's pack behind him, I passed over quickly. It was an object of terror. So was the black-horned thing seated aloof on a rock, surveying a distant crowd surrounding a gallows. Each picture told a story, mysterious often to my undeveloped understanding and imperfect feelings, yet ever profoundly interesting. As interesting as the tales Bessie sometimes narrated on winter evenings when she chanced to be in good humor and when, having brought her ironing table to the nursery hearth, she allowed us to sit about it, and while she got up Mrs. Reed's lace frills and crimped her nightcap borders, fed our eager attention with passages of love and adventure taken from old fairy tales and other ballads, or, as at a later period I discovered, from the pages of Pamela and Henry, Earl of Moreland. So that's a sentimental novel from that time period, like a, a trashy book. So when Bessie, the nurse, the nanny, is in a good mood, she tells the children thrilling tales, some of them taken from trashy novels. With Bewick on my knee, so Bewick is the book, so it's on her knee, I was then happy, happy at least in my way. I feared nothing but interruption, and that came too soon. The breakfast room door opened. Beau, Madame Mope cried the voice of John Reed. Then he paused. He found the room apparently empty. Where the dickens is she? He continued. Lizzie, Georgie, calling to his sisters. Joan is not here. Tell Mama she's run out into the rain, bad animal. It is well I drew the curtain, thought I, and I wished fervently he might not discover my hiding place. Nor would John Reed have found it out himself. He was not quick, either of vision or conception. But Eliza just put her head in at the door and said at once, She's in the window seat, to be sure, Jack. And I came out immediately, for I trembled at the idea of being dragged forth by the said Jack. What do you want? I asked with awkward diffidence. Diffidence is like shyness. Say, what do you want, Master Reed? Was the answer. I want you to come here. And, seating himself in an armchair, he intimated by a gesture that I was to approach and stand before him. John Reed was a schoolboy of fourteen years old, four years older than I, for I was but ten. Large and stout for his age, with a dingy and unwholesome skin, thick lineaments in a spacious visage. So his facial features are thick and his face is wide. Heavy limbs and large extremities. He's got big hands and feet. He gorged himself habitually at table, which made him bilious. He eats too much, and so his stomach often hurts, and gave him a dim and bleared eye and flabby cheeks. He ought now to have been at school, but his mama had taken him home for a month or two on account of his delicate health. Mr. Miles, the master, affirmed that he would do very well if he had fewer cakes and sweetmeats sent him from home, 
But the mother's heart turned from an opinion so harsh, and inclined rather to the more refined idea that John's sallowness was owing to over-application, and perhaps to pining after home. John had not much affection for his mother and sisters, and an antipathy to me. He bullied and punished me, not two or three times in the week, nor once or twice in the day, but continually. Every nerve I had feared him, and every morsel of flesh in my bones shrank when he came near. There were moments when I was bewildered by the terror he inspired, because I had no appeal whatever against either his menaces or his inflictions. The servants did not like to offend their young master by taking my part against him, and Mrs. Reed was blind and deaf on the subject. She never saw him strike or heard him abuse me, though he did both now and then in her very presence, more frequently, however, behind her back. So there's nothing that Jane can do about the fact that John is always bullying her because the servants are afraid to say anything bad about Mrs. Reed's beloved son to Mrs. Reed, and Mrs. Reed ignores it when John taunts Jane. Habitually obedient to John, I came up to his chair. He spent some three minutes in thrusting out his tongue at me as far as he could without damaging the roots. I knew he would soon strike, and while dreading the blow, I mused on the disgusting and ugly appearance of him who would presently deal it. I wonder if he read that notion in my face, for all at once, without speaking, he struck suddenly and strongly. I tottered, and, regaining my equilibrium, retired back a step or two from his chair. That is for your impudence, your rudeness, in answering Mama a while since, said he, and for your sneaking way of getting behind curtains, and for the look you had in your eyes two minutes since, you rat. Accustomed to John Reed's abuse, I never had an idea of replying to it. My care was how to endure the blow which would certainly follow the insult. What were you doing behind the curtain? he asked. I was reading. Show the book. I returned to the window and fetched it thence. You have no business to take our books. You are dependent, Mama says. You have no money. Your father left you none. You ought to beg and not live here with gentlemen's children like us and eat the same meals we do and wear clothes at our Mama's expense. Now, I'll teach you to rummage my bookshelves, for they are mine. All the house belongs to me, or will do in a few years. Go and stand by the door, out of the way of the mirror and windows. John is saying that Jane has been taken into their family out of charity. So she's not actually John's sibling, and nothing in the house belongs to her. It belongs to him, because he's the master of the house, or he will be when he comes of age. I did so, not at first aware what was his intention. But when I saw him lift and poise the book and stand in act to hurl it, I instinctively started aside with a cry of alarm. Not soon enough, however. The volume was flung. It hit me, and I fell, striking my head against the door and cutting it. The cut bled. The pain was sharp. My terror had passed its climax. Other feelings succeeded. So she's been hit with this book, and she's not scared anymore. She's mad. Wicked and cruel boy, I said. You are like a murderer. You are like a slave driver. You are like the Roman emperors. I had read Goldsmith's History of Rome and had formed my opinion of Nero, Caligula, etc. Also, I had drawn parallels in silence, which I never thought thus to have declared aloud. What? What? He cried. Did she say that to me? Did you hear her, Eliza and Georgiana? Won't I tell Mama? But first... He ran headlong at me. I felt him grasp my hair and my shoulder. He had closed with a desperate thing. 
I really saw him as a tyrant, a murderer. I felt a drop or two of blood from my head trickle down my neck and was sensible of somewhat pungent suffering. These sensations for the time predominated over fear, and I received him in frantic sort. I don't very well know what I did with my hands, but he called me rat, rat, and bellowed out aloud. Aid was near him. Eliza and Georgiana had run for Mrs. Reed, who was gone upstairs. She now came upon the scene, followed by Bessie and her maid Abbott. We were parted. I heard the words, Dear, dear, what a fury to fly at Master John! Did ever anybody see such a picture of passion? Then Mrs. Reed subjoined, Take her away to the red room and lock her in there. Four hands were immediately laid upon me, and I was borne upstairs. Mrs. Reed tells the servants to lock Jane in the red room, and they carry her away. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to know what you thought of the chapter. Is there anything you'd like me to clarify? Did something particularly interest you? Please go to my website, faithkmore.com, click on Contact, and send me your questions and thoughts. Or you can click on the link in the show notes to contact me. I'll feature one or two of your entries at the start of the next episode. Before I go, I'd like to ask a quick favor. This is an independent podcast. It's produced, recorded, and marketed by me. So I need your help. Please share this podcast with your friends. Post about it on social media. If you're studying literature at school, tell your teacher and your classmates about it. Talk about it in the break room at work. And if you could, please subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. I would really, really appreciate it. All right, everyone. Story time is over. To be continued.